The Gospel of John, chapter 12. Beautiful timing to go a little bit further in a very long outline. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. We're working on the words, now is the judgment of this world. I am going to pass over what I told you last Lord's Day about the work that should go into the word now. Because I already covered it. I don't want to go there again. There's a lot of timing words from verses 23 through 33. A lot of timing words. The hour. Now. I said enough. The use of world cannot be the driving force of interpreting this passage because world is used with two wide of a latitude in the Bible. We consider the word world in this particular place to be the political, religious, spiritual kingdom under Satan is primarily the thrust of what's being judged by the Lord Jesus Christ after his death. We were then looked at the word judgment. And judgment can mean very many things in the Bible, but we are looking at it as judgment being a ruling against a party for crimes. And you heard me, you saw the rebuke of Isaiah chapter 2. Did you see the rebuke in there, rebuking many nations? Strong rebuke in Isaiah 11, Micah 4. And the apostles did rebuke them. When, he told, when Paul told the philosophers of Athens that they were very superstitious and their ignorance God had winked at in times past but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's a ruling against them that God disproves of their religion, and they better change it. Then judgment can be the destruction, overthrow, or punishment of an enemy, which is in the case of Satan's kingdom. Satan was overthrown, his palace raided, and prized possessions taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just keep moving forward and not go there again. There are pages that will be posted to to the website soon that deal in some of these issues that you want to go through to rightly, properly study these words in this short clause. Now is the judgment of this world. If we're not careful, we can misread the word judgment into being the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then if you have now, starting off the clause, you end up being a preterist. There's a lot of work that goes into this to rightly divide the word of truth. Always pray for your path. What, do you, what does the pastor want to be prayed for? Rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. It is so far above health or anything else in my life. I do not want to ever misdivide one word, one verse of scripture. Right. And I'm fully capable of it. Only the Lord Jesus Christ and his inspired apostles were not capable of it. We're going to read about that in John chapters 14 through 16. Jesus is going to tell his apostles, it is expedient for you that I go away because I will send my spirit and he will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have taught you. What a gift. But now, they did put it in writing. We just have to rightly divide the word of truth that's been put in writing. Okay, Jesus' death set in motion the overthrow of the existing world order for a new one. That is another way of stating now is the judgment of this world. Jesus' death set in motion the overthrow of the existing world order 
for a new one. We're going to have to compare some scriptures. So let's go to Genesis chapter 49. This is where a screen would help, and I could show you the verses, and we could cover ground faster that way. It's coming someday. Wednesday nights when we're able to do PowerPoint presentations, we cover far more scripture that way. You don't have to turn in your Bibles, and I can show you the words that we want to pull out of particular verses. Genesis 49 and verse 10, Jacob is prophesying to his sons standing around his deathbed. And he says in verse 9, Judah, son number 4, is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The ruling tribe of the kingdom of God would be Judah, especially under the Old Testament. But it would continue in the New because Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, a son of David and a son of Jesse and a son of Judah. The lion that is in verse 9 is the lion of Revelation chapter 5, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's a prophecy of a king and a kingdom coming. And all the the gathering of the people would be assigned to him. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Some of these places you know well. Brothers that know these places well and think that I'm repeating ground that doesn't need to be covered, remember that sitting around you are brothers that don't know these chapters as well and sisters that don't know them as well and children that are growing while we preach. They're growing on us. They're getting older week by week, and I want them to know Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm about the lordship of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Here we go. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And his anointed is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was anointed with the Holy Ghost at his baptism, saying... And here's what nations have said against God and his righteousness and his word and his church and his kingdom. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's the rebellious attitude of the old world order. And it's the rebellious attitude of the new world order, but in certain places, that's been overthrown for Christian nations. Even if it's Christian in name, there's freedom allowed to churches of Jesus Christ. Here's here's God's response. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You can say anything you want. I appoint the rulers of the world. And I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And that is the holy hill of Zion in heaven. That is the heavenly capital of this kingdom. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is not eternal generation in time in eternity past. That is not his birth. Acts chapter 13 and Hebrews chapter 1 tell us that this event is his resurrection and ascension. 
Amazing. We would never figure that out if it weren't for the spectacles of the New Testament. Paul in Acts 13 and Paul in Hebrews 1 says this verse is fulfilled at his resurrection because he's the first begotten of the dead. This day have I begotten thee. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. God had a son when Jesus was conceived. God had a son when Jesus was born. God had a son when Jesus was baptized. But God had not formally declared it to the universe yet until Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and was sat down at his right hand. This is my son. Then, that is Hebrews 1, that is Hebrews 2, this is my son. That's when he was set on the holy hill of Zion. That's when he took charge of the world formally, officially, finally. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. There we are, brethren, Gentiles on the North American continent. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. There is the rod of iron rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, and thus it has happened to the nations of the world. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Amen. Kings like Constantine, no matter his motives, converted to Christianity, made Christianity legal. Did you enjoy the words from our sister Nancy that I sent to you in an update from Julian the Apostate? an emperor of Rome after Constantine who wanted to turn the Roman Empire back to paganism. What were his dying words? Thou hast conquered, O pale Galilean. Yes! Yes! And we are members of the sect of the Nazarenes. Right. Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee. Breaking the nations in pieces. To look at a globe today even of that part of the world that was once the Babylonian Empire, then the Persian, then the Greek, then the Roman, it's just a hodgepodge of nations because he's dashed them in pieces. There's no one in charge of a world empire. They try for a few years and they can't get anywhere. Napoleon tried. Hitler tried. They can't get any place. Thank you, Lord. This is a psalm you never want to forget. Look at Psalm 45. These are prophecies of a king and a kingdom. Prophecies of a king and a kingdom. When was Psalm 2 fulfilled? With Jesus of Nazareth ascending up into heaven and sitting down at God's right hand. And we're told about that in Acts 13, Hebrews 1 and 2 and other places. Now Psalm 45, which usually we go to, I go to, because of the love of Jesus Christ for his church. But I want to look at the fact that he's a king with a kingdom. Beginning at verse 1. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. 
and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. These last two verses, verses 6 and 7, are quoted by Paul in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, as being fulfilled then with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is this king. David's heart was dictating to him the good matters about this king, and he wrote some of them down for us right here. Girding a sword on, fairer than the children of men. God's blessed him forever, riding prosperously, because in his military conquests, it's truth and righteousness and meekness. And his right hand, his right hand will display terrible, teach, no, display Understand the difference because your mind is limited about the word teach. His right hand will display and show, prove um, terrible things. And the hearts of the king's enemies are falling under him, whether it be Satan or world or the world nations being brought to repentance in certain places, other times granting freedom for the Christian religion to enter their nation, though it was so contrary to the deity of that nation. Do you know what the silversmiths did in Ephesus when Paul was taking away all their business? They put the city on an uproar because they said this man is turning the whole world against the worship of Diana. Amen. Yes. That's our Lord. Psalm 110. I know that you're familiar with these brothers. I'm asking some of you brothers to be patient with me. I have a congregation spread from children to old men like my father. And I mean that very, I mean that very respectfully. I didn't mean anything disrespectful. And I have children. We don't have Sunday school. I want the children that are able to hear and read and with understanding, just like in Nehemiah chapter 8, to hear the word of God read and it simply explained to them. We'll get to some passages you haven't seen before. I gave you some things from Micah today, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11. You go to those places and find their sisters and their fraternal twins. They're all through the Old Testament about the conversion of the Gentiles. That was a great accomplishment for the son of David to rule over a kingdom slightly larger than David's kingdom. David's kingdom was so small you'd hardly be able to spot it on a map. Honestly, Jesus Christ's kingdom, look where we are. David never invaded the North American continent. David didn't even know there was a North American continent. And here we are. It's huge. Not only does he reign over us on earth, he reigns over a general assembly in heaven that is innumerable. He has an army at his disposal. How many? It's an innumerable company of angels. That's my Lord. Do you love him? Amen. Have you been baptized in his name to swear allegiance to him? That's what he asks for. That's the right of citizenship. That's the requirement of citizenship. Psalm 110, the Lord, that's all capitals for me, Jehovah God, the Father. The Lord said unto my Lord, 
Those are small, O-R-D. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus took this verse when he was on earth and said it applied to him. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jesus is already overall, officially, formally. But he hasn't crushed them all yet because he's going to crush them all in the end when he casts his enemies into the lake of fire. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. He is officially and he is formally over them all. They are under his feet. It says so. But he has not totally destroyed them yet as he will in a day that's coming. If you read Daniel 7, did you read about the burning flames? That the beast would be given to the burning flames by God in verses 12 and 11 in front of the little mini vision of Jesus Christ coming to the Ancient of Days? So you've got to see the distinction in time. The devil hasn't yet been cast into hell, but the devil's been cast out of heaven. The devil's activities are restrained in certain respects and not restrained in other respects. We have got to rightly divide the word of truth on every subject all the time, and it is a complicated, difficult task, but the Lord is able and he's been very kind to us. And as has already been prayed, thank you, what we don't see, Lord, show us, and we will hit the silver lever on anything that is not right. Amen. But we are not going to apologize pressing forward. Psalm 110, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. This has already been fulfilled. Jesus already described this. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ converted nations of people. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Is the priesthood of Melchizedek something still future? Not a chance. This is Jesus Christ, king-priest. Pharaoh thought he was a king-priest. Emperors have thought they were king-priests. When one man is both your king and your priest, that's a lot of power. They can control this life, and they can control the next life. That's a lot of bondage. Do you want to know about a king-priest? It's Jesus of Nazareth. The devil was once somewhat of a king-priest. He had a religious claim against us with the God of heaven. He got our parents to sit in the Garden of Eden where he knew that there was a covenant made with Adam and Eve about their posterity. And he got them under the penalty of death. And so that all men were under the bondage... Let's see, here's how it goes. Who, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It is a terrible bondage to be afraid of dying. To be afraid of dying and leaving this world and to be afraid of dying and wondering what's in the next world. That is bondage. That helps people buy candles and say rosaries and keep the Catholic Church going in poor nations. Isn't it amazing how beautiful and expensive a Catholic Church can be in a village south of our border that has no money? Amazing. You know what? You would give as well for the fear of death. It brings bondage. But Jesus delivered us from that. Jesus is the real king priest. He's already interceded for us with God, so we've been accepted in the beloved. There is no penalty of death on us. Death gets rid of these carcasses that we want to get rid of. That's why some of you go to the gym. That's why some of you use essential oils. That's why some of you use EFAs, 
which are essential fatty acids, because you know that it's going down. So death just accelerates it and gets it over with. If we look at it honestly, then we get planted so we can get the new one. You say, is it always that easy for you to talk about it like that? No. Is it right now? Sort of. Why? Because Jesus Christ has destroyed death and him that had the power of death. We should, let's not act like, the, you know what the Bible says, that we shouldn't be ignorant as others which have no hope. Right. Jesus has destroyed death. That's how great our king is. Amen. Has the devil destroyed death? No. The devil used death against us, right. and the devil knows that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire himself because the lake of fire was created and prepared for the devil and his angels. Right. Matthew 25 tells us that. So here we have this prophecy of a king and a kingdom. The Lord said unto my Lord, Jesus reasoned from these words this way, if David called his son, his Lord, then who is this Messiah? He's David's king. David was a pretty good king himself. The Lord said unto my Lord, David is writing, my Lord, Jehovah said to my son that he was my Lord. That's what we're, that's what we're thinking about, the great kingdom of Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. For the third time, please don't be offended with me. Love these verses. And if you think everyone else in here already knows them as well as you do, confirm that to me and I can go a lot faster. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Is there any question about the fulfillment of those two clauses? Timing-wise, identity-wise, no. This is Jesus being born to Mary. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That is the new world order. We pass over those words every time. We memorize the verse. I have known this verse since I was single digits. I have heard this verse piped into my bedroom every night to go to bed, to go to sleep, by my father who wanted me to know this verse. Can you, can you hear Handel's Messiah right now? <laughs> With this verse? Yep. Okay, I'll bet you can name the, uh, his names, can't you? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But you just ran over something. We ran over, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Did you know the first half of the verse? For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. If I have said... If I, have said, if I had said those words to you and said, where are they found, you would have said Isaiah. If I had given you the five names, you'd have said Isaiah. But look what's in the middle. Right. We can't overlook it. Amen. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. What government? The government of the new world order. Right. Absolutely. Amen. And then look at the next verse, which I didn't memorize, which I wish I had memorized as a child. Of the increase of his government... That sounds like a kingdom that's going to grow. Amen. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Amen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. Are there any better verses in the Bible? Yes. 
Yes, the ones I went to first. No. I don't know. It's just wonderful. Amen. We know 9-6, but let's embrace 9-7. There is an invisible, unseen kingdom with a king ruling in these ways, like the righteousness and meekness that we saw in Psalm 45. His kingdom is going to grow. And of the peace, he will destroy all enemies. There'll be no end to his peace. Right. And it's David's kingdom, and it's David's throne, and he's going to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. And when we come to Acts chapter 15, and there was that huge council of the churches in Acts chapter 15, the prophecy was fulfilled from Amos, which we will get to, but we need it right now. The prophecy was fulfilled that a Gentile church like this was the filling out of David's kingdom. Right. And James said, this is that, spoken of by Amos. That is how exciting this is. Amen. Forgive the fact that there are many of them playing with heresy in practice and doctrine. There are 500,000 Baptist churches in the world. That is quite a kingdom. Yes, you can... I didn't say everything that calls itself Christian. I took 2.2 billion down to 105 million. Some of them are only legal Baptist churches. We would take their baptisms. Right. Some are spiritual churches. They have a candlestick yet. Only a few are practical churches that are legal, have a candlestick, and are following the apostolic faith once delivered to the saints. And you need to keep those things in remembrance. When we accept a baptism from another Baptist church, we are looking at this, because we don't know if they have a candlestick or not. Right. And we're not going to find very many that hold everything that we do in doctrine and practice. And so we back up to, do they have the basic essentials in place that is called a church in the New Testament? They do, we're content. But do you know how big that is? The increase of his government throughout the world. If I was to bring a globe up here or I had a world map, you wouldn't be able to see David's kingdom. Right. But I could show you Jesus Christ's kingdom in every nation. Right. All I have to do is take you home. No, we're going to get this baby online someday. We're going to have an online church one of these days. Then I can show you Google Analytics. They analyze every single ISP address that accesses our website. And I can show you where they are. I can show you how many seconds or minutes they were in our website. I can show you what page they were on. You say, really? That sounds like Big Brother has us. Big Brother does have you. Our Big Brother has us of the increase of his government there shall let me tell you something it does not matter if washington or belgium knows what goes on in your house what does matter is two other kingdoms two others the devil knows what goes on in your bedroom and as to how frequently you have sex and whether that sex fulfills both spouses can i prove that with a bible 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, second kingdom. 
Jesus Christ, all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Amen. Why in the world would someone get distracted worrying about Washington, knowing what's going on in our house? Do you know what really counts? Does the devil know? And does Jesus Christ know? And they both know. So let's change what's going on in our bedrooms. You say, I don't believe it. Does 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5 say that the wife hath not power of her body but the husband, the husband hath not power of his body but the wife, and that they, they owe to each other due benevolence, and that they should only come apart by agreement for a short period of time for fasting and prayer, lest Satan tempt you for your incontinency. Isaiah 52. We worry about the wrong things. I was so distracted as a lad with books about conspiracies and political conspiracies and efforts at world orders and, and wasn't taught the new world order of the Lord Jesus Christ. And neither was my father, but we're, we've been taught and Amen. praise his glorious name. Amen. If he shows us any truth at any point in time in our lives, it's by his grace. Isaiah 52, it's the chapter in front of 53. Look at verse 13. Behold... My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider." And then you get Isaiah 53. Do you really want to read Isaiah 53 once in a while? Then get the three verses leading into it. Especially that first one of 52.13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. That's Jesus our King. How about the last verse of this 15 verse section? The last verse of chapter 53. Therefore, well I, I've already read this once today. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Jesus Christ is at the pinnacle of the universe, and he dispensed the Holy Spirit to the church. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And some of those gifts were the apostleship. Those men, those men were mighty. They were strong. They could do all kinds of things. How did Peter heal? His shadow. If you got somebody under Peter's shadow, he was healed. How did Paul heal? Handkerchiefs and aprons mailed from him. From him. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Tithing the Old Testament. Go look up the word world. Heathen, Gentiles, <laughs> nations, Old Testament words for us. Jeremiah 23. It's a wonderful chapter about two pastors, a warning to pastors. You can see that in the first verse. Woe be unto the pastors. Oh, yes. And how they better preach. You've heard the words over there in Verse 28, the prophet that hath a dream. 23, 28, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. 
And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? And so this is, that's what you get when you come here. You're going to get the word of God Amen. by God's grace. But we want, verses 5 and 6, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. That's Jesus Christ. Another king was coming. When Jesus comes the next time, it is the end. I don't need to qualify it. It's the end of every other old world order. The end. Thrown into the lake of fire. The earth melted. The heavens melted with fervent heat. And we have a new heaven and a new earth. There is nothing else. We are in the last kingdom. Paul said, Hebrews 12, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Amen. This kingdom that we're in right now, the worship of the Son of God by His, His shed blood and the glory of His name being the basis for our salvation, we're just going to merge with the general assembly above and take over the new universe. All this, I, do you know what they taught us at the world's most unusual university? They taught us that there was a seven-year tribulation which they cannot find in the Bible. They make it up from the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. There is no seven-year tribulation in the Bible. So we have Jesus coming in what they call the rapture, then seven years of a tribulation, then Jesus coming again at the battle of Armageddon to set up a Jewish millennium, and then Jesus, the end of the millennium, has to get rid of all the wicked that are still on the earth living peacefully in this Jewish millennial kingdom. He's going to be seated on a throne in Jerusalem on the sand at the end of the Mediterranean Sea with animal sacrifices restored, looking back at the cross. Oh, yes, that's beautiful. C.I., you are precious. I speak as a fool. Unbelievable. With Jewish preeminence, when the New Testament tells us that Jews and Gentiles have been brought into one body and there is no difference anymore in Christ Jesus. The next event, other than Satan being loosed for a little season, which we might or we might not be in already, is Jesus coming back and throwing the devil into the lake of fire, judging all men, and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Right. What they have to do with 2 Thessalonians, the first two chapters, is unprecedented in Bible twisting. Just read C.I. Schofield's introduction to 2 Thessalonians where he makes the decision that he, as a pope, has the right to change words and the meaning of those words because they cannot stand the order of events there. There is a great falling away. The man of sin is revealed. Then Jesus comes. For their little scheme to work, Jesus has to come. Then there's a falling away and the man of sin, what they call the Antichrist what Paul calls the man of sin, what Daniel calls the little horn of the Roman Empire. He is revealed before Jesus comes because Jesus is going to have the privilege of throwing what remains of him into the lake of fire and his whole system. 
Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30 and verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God. Now, Jeremiah, what are you talking about? You're about 500 years after David, maybe 400. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. See, when you read your Bibles, read carefully. That's why the less, less sometimes can be better for you to notice a verse like this and say, wait a minute, when was Jeremiah writing? Oh, yeah, Jeremiah was writing just about the time of the Babylonian captivity. What is he referring to David being raised up to be their king? There must be another David. Jeremiah 23 told you about that other David. Sometimes Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, is called David. Learn that prophetically. Here's one of the examples. And there's more in Jeremiah, and there's more in Ezekiel. But we want to go to Daniel 2.44 and read a verse that we read last Lord's Day about this kingdom. Jesus' death set in motion the overthrow of the existing world order for a new one. So we're looking all the way from Genesis to the end of the Bible about a kingdom, about a king that changed the world order. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Jesus Christ, all three names referring to the same kingdom. Daniel 2.44. Do you remember this image? It's in verse 31. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the vision which he withheld from his counselors so that Nebuchadnezzar could know that he was telling him the truth. Not only can I give you the interpretation, O king, but I will tell you the vision that you had. And here it is. And so he gives it. Verse 34, Thou sawest those four world empires till that a stone was cut out without hands. That means it is a supernatural kingdom. That means it's a divine kingdom which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. In the last part of verse 35, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. It was a stone. It became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Yes, look where we are. Abraham didn't know about us except by faith. Because God said, your seed will be as the sand which is by the seashore and the stars of the heaven innumerable. Right. Who is the seed of Jesus Christ? Oh, oh that. yes. Who's buried in Grant's tomb? Um, who is the seed of Abraham? Jesus Christ. And if ye are Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed? and heirs according to the promise. That's all in Galatians chapter 3. We're looking at all these verses of the Old Testament through the spectacles of the new. We never do it the other way around. We never take the Old Testament to force something in the New Testament. We take the New Testament and look back and see things clearly because the apostles have revealed them to us. Okay, there's the stone that comes and turns into a mountain. Verse 44, here's the explanation given to Nebuchadnezzar. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. We are part of a kingdom that is never going down. It is universal. 
and it is everlasting. Luke 1. Luke 1. I think someone said something about... Who was that person? Hurry! If I had online, we could go faster. Luke 1. Gabriel to Mary. Verse 31. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Does that match up with anything we've read? He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. There we have a New Testament de declaration of it. Now look at Luke 17. Time is of the essence. Luke 17, verse 20. This is an important point to remember. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is invisible. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is spiritual. It was a stone cut out without hands. It is supernatural. So don't look at things that you can read in the newspaper unless you read with the eye of faith very carefully. Because it doesn't come with human observation like other kingdoms do. Here we go. Verse 20 of Luke 17. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, oh, just I, I just don't want you to make a mistake. Flip back to chapter 16 and verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John, that is John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Do you understand the power of that verse, the beauty of that verse, and the timing of that verse? It was the Old Testament up till John the Baptist. When John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2 began to preach and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there was a change. There was now a new kingdom on earth just getting its start as a little grain of mustard seed. The law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Men were entering the kingdom of God. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, John the Baptist began his ministry. 1720. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, because they were looking for an earthly, visible, political kingdom. See, they, they couldn't see his kingdom at all. They were demanding, when are we going to be, be able to throw off the Roman yoke? And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not like what you're thinking. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It is among you. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It is within us spiritually, but not those Pharisees. So that word within has to be understood as it is among you. It is already in the nation, but it doesn't come with observation. And there'll be more on this verse. Yeah. I have to go to John 18 and we're going to close. That clock is fast. And if it's not, I'll move it when I get out of this pulpit. I'm Lord, you know how much I love all this. Everything in the word of God is beautiful. 
But there's some things more beautiful than others, and that's when it testifies about his son and his son's greatness and his son's glory and his son's accomplishments. We have a king, and he calls us brethren. We're joint heirs with him of the universe. All things are yours. Paul wrote that. All things are yours. No. Yes. All things are yours. John 18. Verse 33. Pilate entered the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? John 18, 33. Jesus had a perfect opportunity to say, No, I'm just a lowly shepherd that's going to... I'm just a lowly shepherd of his sheep that's going to suffer the death of martyrdom to give an example. Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus is still dealing with this question. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now is the judgment of this world, because my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Do you think that you could have gotten me so easily in Gethsemane? Do you think the Jews could have got their hands on me so easily? My servants don't fight like you're used to fighting, because my kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual, divine kingdom that I should not be delivered to the Jews? Don't you think that my servants, there's enough of my followers in the nation of Israel that could have kept me from the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. Now, does that sound familiar? Now is my kingdom not from here. Mine isn't an earthly kingdom. That's what hence means. It's not from here. It's not from this world like you're looking for a kingdom. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. And poor Pilate had to say, What is truth? We know the truth, and the truth includes Jesus of Nazareth. And the truth that we're supposed to be the pillar and ground of is that God was manifest in the flesh, Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, received up into glory. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.